Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. Thank you all very much for tuning in and or for listening. We're making two changes to the Maple Hill Gold course this year for the MVP Open. Uh, that is the first change. We will be using the castle again this year. And then hole 18, uh, if everything goes as planned, we'll be lengthening it by about 80 to 100 feet and it'll be lower in elevation by about 8 to 10 feet. So we're hoping it plays about 120 to 140 feet longer. Uh, the goal is to get, get that upshot onto the island green nice and tricky. So uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking with uh, Dutch about, uh, about his life on the road and have a conversation with him about follow-throughs in disc golf. And... Uh, is it a good idea to, to follow through on your putt or maybe on the fairway and maybe the tee, maybe all that should be different. And then, uh, and then we're going to have a nice conversation with Jamie Thomas a little bit later about disc golf media and uh, how we seem to be knocking it out of the park right now. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff and uh, stay tuned. We've got lots to talk about. And uh, right after this quick break, we will bring Dutch in and start the conversation. Hello there, Dutch. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So, Dutch, uh, where are you right now? Uh, I am in Emporia, Kansas, in a hotel room where there's air conditioning because I was on the course all day in the heat with uh, my two oldest sons. Um, they were actually competing in the Junior Worlds. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, really hot out there today, but uh, the kids withstood the heat. Uh, they both they both are playing. Yes, that's fantastic. Yes, uh, I got one in uh, I got one in eighteen and under division, and I got one in the fifteen and under division. Going, um, what were their expectations? What did they want to do? Just like their dad, they want to win every tournament they play. <laughs> They're smart boys, and uh, and we <laughs> talked we talked a little bit earlier, and it sounds like they did not do as well as they had hoped in the first round. No, they did not. Um, they actually played two rounds today, and both of them was pretty brutal on them today. Uh, the heat was definitely a factor. Um, both of them are coming back from injuries. Um, I have one that dislocated an elbow ago Friday to play in the Worlds. Uh, he has 100% usage of his arm again. Um, he's been wearing a robot brace on his arm for the last six weeks. Okay, is that that um, thing, the arm out right in front of you? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what they they just pretty much had it uh, stationary for the most part to uh, let the tendons and ligaments and stuff uh, make sure that there wasn't any tears and breaks and anything like that. Um, and then also my son Zachary, uh, he had a staph infection in his knee, which got cut out on Wednesday, and uh, so he's playing with an open wound in his leg. Um, of course, he still wanted to win the tournament. Of course. Um, <laughs> three more days of competition coming. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, you know, they'll, uh, they're putting practice, or yeah, they're putting practicing right now while I'm quiet. They're outside in the heat still. <laughs> they don't want to give up. When you're, uh, when you don't do as well in the first round, you're glad there's a lot of rounds. But when it's 100 degrees outside, you're not always glad there's a lot of rounds. So, I wish them the best of luck, and uh, they've got they've got one of the best caddies in the world. I hope they think the same. I do believe I'm the highest rated dad here, though. So, Dutch, you uh, when did you start playing disc golf professionally? Um, I started professionally in 2008. Um, I went to the I went to the 2008 Amateur World Championships, and uh, was very very lucky to meet Ken Clamo. And he told me, he said, you know, you'll never be the best in the world if you don't play with the best in the world. And uh, literally the next week, whenever I went home, uh, there was a, a tournament at my home course. Uh, I played open for the first time, and it was a B tier, and I won the tournament. And I never looked back from there. That is fantastic. Um, and I think that he was right. I think if you want to get better, you have to play with people that are better than you and get as, get as good as them. Um, Most definitely. There's a bunch of people out there, your your kids probably included, that watch Paul McBeth shoot an 18 down at D-Glow. And uh, 
they know that can be done and that's going to be their new target. And, uh, he, he just, he just set a new bar for everybody. And, and, uh, hopefully the rest of us can all get a little better and try to beat him. Um, yeah, like, and it's not just my kids, man. There's so many kids here at the worlds that I've talked to about Paul Macbeth being an 18 down round at, at Toboggan and, a lot of them that actually played in the U.S. Amateurs uh, this year yeah, at Toboggan, and they're, they're just mind-boggled. They they have no clue how it was even possible. <laughs> I think I think Nico, who uh, who shot one off the course record and lost by eight, would uh, would say the same. Yes. Uh, so, Dutch, uh, moving on to the topic at hand. Uh, I was talking with uh, with an, an old uh, an old friend friend in arms, uh, Trevor, who uh, yeah. who told me about some ideas you have for the fairway and how uh, and I, we're not actually proposing. I, I don't want to get anybody worried enough. Uh, we're we like thinking about things, and that's what we're doing right here. So we're going to think about things, and and I'll throw this pitch, this softball pitch to you. Um, thinking about the tee, the fairway, and the green, give us a proposal for, for things that we can think about as to how maybe things should be. Right. Well, as you know, I like playing softball still, so I'm going to try to hit it out of the park. Good. Um, but, uh, yeah, just in, in perspective of, you know, with the, the 18 down round that Paul McBeth shot, like, wow. Um, but if if we were to – make it to where you can still do the run up on your drives, possibly standstill shots from everything else. Um, and whenever I say standstill, I just mean like, you know, both feet planted before you throw, but whenever you release, you know, of course you can still fall through and go past your disc, but with no run up, of course, you know, your right foot has to be behind your disc. You can't step into the shot. He's not going to be able to reach the, 900 and something foot uphill shot in two shots to get an eagle every round, he's going to have a, a lot harder time with it. Or Paul, you know, being Paul, he might be able to do that, actually. We don't know because that's not how it is. Yeah. Um, but what I was thinking is, is as closer to scoring to even par as, as the ball and stick game of golf, um, I think that whenever we see an 18 – down round people are like oh well that just makes disc golf seem so easy that you know it, i guess anybody can go out there and shoot an 18 down and with a lot of the par 54 courses the par 3 courses is what i would call them able to happen whenever you're going to these courses to where you know it, it might change where you're like man a, a three down today was hot and that was great yeah um even with, uh, you know, with putting, you know, it takes the, the step putts out. It takes the jump putts out and things like that. And it makes your, your standstills to where, you know, the people, I mean, people like Ricky Wasaki is probably going to get a better advantage because he don't jump putt until he gets the 90 plus feet or, or more even. Let me, uh, let me ask a couple quick questions about this. Uh, and again, I'll just reiterate, this is just a proposal um, mm -hmm. that you and I are talking about and, and hopefully some other people might think about. That's the goal. So you're saying on the tee, you can run up and follow through as much as you want, as much as we do now. Correct. And on the fairway, uh, you and, and presumably the rough next to the fairway, uh, you, you have to stand, both your feet have to be planted. And then as you throw, because you're still trying to throw 350, 400 feet, you can obviously follow through past the disc. Now, what happens on the green? Can you still follow through or is that a, does that I mean, I think, I think it, that, you know, the inside the circle standard where you have to show control behind your disc with, with both feet, you know, um, I think that that should still, still be a, the case. Okay. Um, but from, from everywhere else, even, you know, um, from 60 feet, from 90 feet, you know, you, you don't get to go and take off running and jump into your shot and, and things like that. And it takes a lot of the foot fault cases out. Of it. You don't have the argument of, Oh, well, we should use video to see if he foot faulted there or, or to that matter, you know, and it takes the two two or more people trying to say, Oh, well, we're going to give this guy a stroke because we think that, Hey, he, he didn't play it right. You know? Um, I think it takes a lot of that question out of play. That's a, that's a really compelling argument. Uh, 
especially when you couple it with the, the footfall, which has been a, a, a wonderful controversy this year as far as controversy. Right. Um, now, I'm, I, I suspect you're familiar with golf and the fact the way they work it. I'll, I'll run through the way I understand it. You can let me know if I'm correct. On the, on the tee, you're allowed to tee it up, and you actually can raise your ball off the surface. Uh, correct. And then on the fairway, you swing and you're allowed to, to actually take a divot. You can, you can really go at it, but you're not allowed to tee it up. And then on the green, obviously, you, you can't take a divot. You have to just putt through the ball. Not that anybody would want to take a divot on a green. but um, So they actually right. find – and then they have sand traps as a special rule altogether, but we don't, we don't really have the equivalent of that. Uh, so they have three different areas defined – and the fairway area, which is the one we currently don't have defined, is is defined in such a way that you you can't hit it as far as you can off a tee. Right. Okay. And, and that's the thing too is uh, you know whenever we if we go to something like this, it also makes it to where course design comes to where we're not having thousand foot holes. We're having the the par fives are going to be closer to the eight hundred foot mark probably because of the way that it would play. Um, and you know, we're getting to where the disc technology is so great now that they're making discs where, where people are throwing them, you know, a thousand feet with, with Simon and David with 60 mile an hour winds. But, you know, but I mean, realistically speaking, like there is some golfers that are out on tour that, that can throw 600 plus feet, you know, on, on command, um, you know, and, and 550 foot plus just hazards, straight hazard shots, you know? Um, but that would make course course designing a little different too because like i said we're trying to we're trying to make it to where it would be closer to to the even par i would think so do you think that getting to even par is an important part of what you're trying to do what is the goal of this um i think that like what it would be is whenever you go out and shoot a six under par that that would be and, and ratings are different, you know. Um, it would make it to where that six under par is a is a ten seventy rate around possible, you know. If you shoot an even par, like I would like to see it to where you know, if you build a course and you get to an even par, that's a standard of a scratch golfer. Um, scratch golfer and disc golf at this point is is about a thousand rated average. Um, even even now, it's starting to leak up into you know probably a thousand five to a thousand ten. You know, is pretty much a scratch golfer now. Um, you know, because eight to ten years ago, if you were a thousand rated golfer, you were top top fifty in the world. To where yeah. now we have you know possibly five hundred plus thousand rated golfers across the world. So uh, I'm reading some comments that are coming in on the board, and they're they're I think I think pretty good comments. Um, the, the one comment that strikes me is potentially have standstills in the quote rough. And so that we can define, we can actually use this concept to define and change the way the game is played in the rough. If so, if you're on the fairway, you get your normal, you run still up. get your run up. And if you're in the rough, then you have to stand still. That sort of becomes a, a sand trap for disc golf. Right. I like that idea. That's, I mean, that's a great idea for me, like, you know, and it gives you advantage and wants you to, you know, forces you to want to hit a fairway. Yeah. Um, also on, on top of that though, um, you know, you're going to have to go out and define the rough define. You're going to have to know whenever somebody throws, so you're looking at course preparation and things like that could, could come into, you know, costly for paint or anything like that unless we can get some kind of a paint sponsor or something that would be, you know, give us however many thousands of cans of paint we would need a year to paint 10 courses up. Well, uh, the pro tour brings rope. So we could, uh, we could potentially rope, help. Fair that. enough. Um, and I'll go ahead and say D glow. They were, those fairways were mowed beautifully. And then off the fairway, they let the grass grow and it was pretty clear where the rough was and where the fairway was. Yes, the way that they did it at D-Glow was awesome. Yeah. Um, and if you were in the rough, like, you didn't have much of a run-up anyway at that place. Right. So, arguably, they kind of did this rule without – or this thought without without even meaning to. 
Actually, I, yeah. actually, I did mean to. Um, the only thing is, is like whenever you're in that kind of a situation, you go out for a practice round and you throw three shots in the rough and it takes you an hour to find two of them and you don't find your third. That's right. the only thing that makes it rough for the player, you know, out there spending his time to try to learn a course. Right. Um, very frustrating as well. You know, uh, I, I lost a few myself that I never got returned because there, there ain't no telling where they went actually. Right. I, I lost one out there. I played around and I lost one out there and I, I, I she's buried straight up and down in some sort of dark patch beneath some leaves. And that's, that's gone. The way. So uh, Dutch, how old were you when you started playing disc golf? Oh, I was, I started playing in 2000 and I was born in 81. So 19, 19 was that uh, okay. 19 uh, fresh out of high school. Who taught you the game? Um, it's actually kind of crazy. I, I found some kids swimming in a lake at my local park and I was like, uh, what are you guys doing in there? And they were, they were telling me they were looking for, for disc in the lake. And I told them, I was like, look, you ain't supposed to be in there. It says no swimming. And I wasn't a park ranger by any means, but the park rangers there knew me cause I'd been there as a kid, you know, all the way through my adolescence and everything. And, uh, you know, so I was trying to help them keep an eye out. And once they showed me what disc golf was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get in the lake and find a couple of these myself. And I found two discs and I played for the next six, six to eight months religiously until uh, it became wintertime and I couldn't, you know, and then uh, I ran into a guy, his name is Gary Pinley, um, who is past now, but uh, he actually told me about tournaments and stuff in different places, which was uh, really awesome because I didn't know that people competed for, prizes or money or for a living at that point. Um, and then, uh, in, uh, like 2007 or 2008, uh, actually it was 2007. I met Eric Roadhouse and, uh, no, I met him in 2005 In 2007, I started caddying for him oh. and I went to the USDGC with him in 2008. And with the time with him, I learned a lot about the game mentally, physically. Um, I learned, uh, how to putt mainly, um, Eric Roadhouse taught me how to putt. Um, and he also taught me that a T-bird was not the longest flying disc ever. <laughs> um, which I thought was true in 2008. Um, and then, like I said, I won my first pro tournament in 2008. Yeah. So, but yeah, that leads you up to my, my open, open career. That that's very nice. Um, I, I have never heard, you know, you always ask me, well, how did you, find out about disc golf the story for me has never started with i saw two guys swimming that's a <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to be introduced to the sport uh, right and these kids were like 12 years old at that time um so like later in later in my time i've actually taught them more about how to play disc golf as well so it's kind of crazy how it all worked out uh absolutely and now here you are actually in kansas city with with two of your kids, uh, caddying for them. Are you going to alternate who you're caddying for? I did today. Um, I caddied for the youngest, uh, this morning, okay. uh, caddy for the oldest this evening. Um, but I did have to leave my oldest early this morning so that I could go pick the youngest up from a different course. Cause it was like 15 minutes away. Make sure he wasn't just sitting out in the sun waiting for me. Yeah. Um, and then come back and get the other one as well. So, um, I think tomorrow I'm going to start, uh, they both play the country club on tea times, which I don't know their tea time yet, but, uh, I think they're going to be kind of close together. And, uh, if they are, then, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start with the oldest and, uh, bounce back and forth there. Um, because that place is very long and, uh, it's going to be a grueling day for him. I think the heat index is supposed to be in or something like that. So I got to still be a dad and say, Hey, drink water. And, get under the umbrella and find some shade and don't throw it. OB. <laughs> that was uh, going to be my, <laughs> you be uh, being a caddy is one thing, but being a dad is a very different thing. Uh, yes. how much of your time when you're with these guys on the course is spent saying, stay in your head, be, be in the right place, focus on this shot versus, Hey, I'm proud of you. Right. Um, Steve, I try to tell them every day of their life that I'm proud of them, no matter how they, they wind out who they turn out to be or anything. And I hope that they understand that. Um, 
But it's hard to get praise for me on the course. Um, you know, if you throw a bad shot, I'll let you know you threw a bad shot. Um, so hopefully, you know, they they get it together and they, they'll throw some good shots and dad start praising them out on the course. But, yeah, it's very hard to uh, to push the side-by-side, you know. Well, either way, I suspect they're going to grow up and be proud of their dad and uh, and all of the cool cool things that he did and it and and did with them. Uh, this is going to be a trip that they remember forever, and uh, maybe you guys will do it again next year and the year after. How many kids do you have, Dutch? I have five kids. I got uh, three boys, and I got two girls. Uh, I got uh, two seventeen-year-olds. Uh, my oldest daughter her name's Caitlin. Uh, she's actually just started her first job and she's been practicing driving with mom while dad's gone. <laughs> so that's been, that's been pretty uh, exciting for her. Um, you know, it, it really sucks that, you know, I miss out on some things like this, you know, uh, being out on the road, yeah. um, you know, because I'm a full-time dad when I'm at home. Oh, right. Um, and then uh, I have Zachary and Brighton, which is my, my two after that. And y'all heard, you know, quite a bit about them as well. Um, and then I have Tiana. She is uh, seven years old. She just got seven stitches in her arm. Um, while I was home in between Utah and Michigan, we went swimming in a lake. Imagine that. And she found something to cut her open in her arm. And we packed up five kids in the whole camp. And not one question was asked. Everybody listened. We were a great team. And dad drove 90 miles an hour all the way back home, which was about 45 minutes, which I was scared for my daughter's life. So I drove. Yeah. Um, we got her there and she wound up with seven stitches and which just got taken out actually the day I left to come to Kansas. So uh, we stay pretty busy at home. <laughs> you said also that, that you had – yeah. Anyway, there, you, before we started, you told me a bunch of other stories and uh, it sounds like the last, especially the last week or two has been crazy in the Napier house. You are most definitely right. Uh, I can't, I assume you have a full-time nanny. You're a disc golfer. So you probably have a full-time nanny to watch over them. I have a great wife is what I have. Um, but I also have the five-year-old son, who is Joshua Dutch Napier Jr., um, who is a spitting image of me and acts just like I did when I was a kid, so I'm told by my parents. So <laughs> I'm sure I got my hands full for that. Um, and I do, I do have a, a wonderful wife at home. And, uh, you know, she really, she really holds the fort down while I'm gone. Um, I'm sure she's watching right now. She knew that I was going to be talking to Steve today. Um, and you've met her on quite a few occasions. She's a great caddy, um, a great companion, a great friend, uh, very easy to talk to. Um, and if any of you guys ever see her while I'm out on tour and she's with me, feel free to talk to her. She's, she's very great. She's awesome in conversation and, you know, but, uh, man, I've always had support from my family, you know, not only just from, from my wife and my kids, but, you know, from my mom, my dad, both my brothers. Um, I got two brothers. Like, it's just been awesome. Um, their wives and kids as well. Like, they're always super stoked when Uncle Dutch is around. And, and that's just how it is, you know. We're always a great, close-knit family. So, Well, I'll just say, two more kids, you got yourself a softball team. Is that all I need? That's all you need, just two more. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe in the long run, me and my wife uh, adopt a couple. Uh, but I think we're done. Okay. Adoption <laughs> is a great choice. We should put a little shout out for adoption. I think Terry Miller might've been adopted. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, um, whenever me and my wife got together, Tiana, um, she had her and I've adopted her as well. So right. she is now officially mine, uh, full force. I'm her dad and well, she knows that I'm her dad. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. And that's a, that's a positive feeling to know that and have that, have that role model in your life. Uh, yeah. Dutch, well, first of all, thank you for being a great disc golfer. Thank you for being a great dad. And thank you for being a thinker who cares about the game. And um, I don't know if anything will ever come of this, but uh, the, t the two things, the three things I heard, number one, treat the tee different from the fairway. Um, uh, maybe in the fairway, just stand still. 
do a, a little follow through from that. But when you start, you're standing still. Right. Or potentially, we if we can define rough, maybe that would be a new concept. We could have a rough where you have to and then uh yeah, i like the idea of that i don't know who posted it up i don't get to see the live chat but whoever said that that was a great idea yeah it, uh my uh my live chat has frozen so i'm i am looking at this thing says the site can't be reached but uh and then the the third thing is the uh, is the fact i think you said maybe expand the green to 10 or 20 or 30 meters whatever it is whatever is appropriate for that hole and say you right you uh you can't go past the disc at all on when you're on the green right yeah. um yeah and, and dave fubberg told me to, uh last week he said the difference in the game now is putting like people are really good at putting okay so maybe maybe even a smaller target in the future we never know uh that's a that'll be a different topic for a different day but you're right <laughs> But that's a it's another interesting idea. And then we also have to figure out what we want par to be or what we want a great score to be. Is minus minus eighteen is obviously off the charts. But is minus right. nine enough to win, or do we want par to be the winning score? It's uh there's a lot to think about as we evolve out of this this beautiful nascent moment that we're in. Maybe we need to we need to know what scratch is. What's what yeah. you know, what consists of scratch. That's I, I think that's a valid valid point and and introduce slope. Yeah. Um, the the great thing is we've got this podcast and I don't know if there's an end point to it so we've got plenty of time to talk about this and and start thinking about bigger picture stuff. So, uh, and with that right. we'll, get to, we'll get to Jamie Thomas after the break and talk about what how we're pushing this sport forward. But for the time being, I say thank you very much, Dutch. Keep being a great dad, and we will. Uh, we look forward to the next time we talk with you. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. I always appreciate any of the time I get to spend with you and uh, talk with you about anything that even off disc off subjects. So, but yeah, thank you. Thank you to, uh, actually I need to thank prodigy one time. I know you ain't supposed to do oh, some you. good shout outs, but they put me and my boys in Kansas this week, uh, for the junior world. So thank uh, you all. Um, you know, it's always important to, to, to thank the people that support you. Uh, yeah. Well done, Michael Sullivan and Prodigy and Will Schustrick and all the team. Yeah. Um, and then another one, if I can, uh, Charlie Cavalier. He always looks at me on, uh, out on tour and, and uh, helps me with places to stay and things like that. Um, and uh, we're looking to do some big things in 2019, hopefully. Fantastic. I, uh, I just met Charlie this year, and it's been a pleasure watching – watching him grow on the tour and uh and learning about who he is as a person he's a, a great guy so yeah all right thank you again steve thank you dutch be well we'll talk to you next time so that was uh dutch napier and uh a big shout out to dutch and uh one thing i would like to do um before we bring jamie on i'm hoping if this if this website here works, I want to pull up UDIS Live. We just had the Discraft Great Lakes open, and I want to to just go through who's on top in the Pro Tour standings right now. Uh, with Ricky Wysocki not showing up at D-Glow, uh, that becomes his one buy, uh, which means that his I think he had a 12th place finish earlier. Well, actually, I think the site's wrong because Ricky Wysocki has 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 his one event that's not being counted as Waco, but uh, the Great Lakes Open, he obviously got zero points. So I think <laughs> I can see, I think that's my brother dancing on the rocks behind us. Um, I think that Ricky actually has 44 more points than it says. So Paul McBeth with 414 points, Ricky Wysocki with 388. And uh, those guys have very sizable leads uh, in the race to win the 2018 tour points, uh, Eagle McMahon, James Conrad, Garrett Gurthy, Drew Gibson, Jeremy Colling, and Eric Oakley, uh, round out the top eight, Eric edging out Nate Sexton, who, uh, who also did not attend Deglo. And then on the women's side, and then we will come go right to Jamie right after this quick analysis on the women's side, Paige Pierce is sitting in the lead with 380. Jessica Weiss is in second with 361. Sarah Holcomb is in third with 354. And Katrina Allen is in fourth with 310. 
again, though, uh, it looks to me like Sarah and Katrina have the incorrect events not counted. So Sarah, by my calculations, actually has an additional 60 points, so which would put her in the lead. And uh, Katrina has an additional 60 points, which would put her in third place right behind Paige. So uh, we'll talk to the UDIS guys and look at getting that corrected. Or maybe I'm just reading it wrong. So, and in fifth place, Ellen Widboom, who did the, uh, who, who did the, uh, the, the announcing, who did the uh, MPO commentary, FPO, sorry, FPO commentary at uh, Deglo one of the days. Fantastic. Um, watching her come up and she got to play in the lead card in uh, round three. And with that, uh, I'm going to see if Jamie Thomas is in the house. working we are working all right uh, we're in disc golf we're always working there you go wait no first am i talking to steve dodge or jeremy Colling? because i can't tell at the moment hold on <laughs> That's a, for, for those of you who saw that little image of jeremy that was a clever little thing to say so jamie uh i don't know if you know but i'm gonna break some news to you right now all right hit me paul Macbeth shot 18 down at Discraft great lakes open Wow, I no idea whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, of course, a historic round in the history of the sport. Come on. Not only that, not only that, it was covered live. And it was covered by Jomez on uh, with a shot by shot compilation that they do the day the next day. And Terry Miller put together a little edited piece of all of his shots without any commentary or any music or anything. It was just a beautiful artistic piece. And then Jomez put out another piece about the round, and it was an amazing piece. And it was so amazing. Jamie, are you holding your hat? Uh, it's, it's still on my head. It hasn't blown totally off yet, but that's just because I know those guys, and they're really good at what they do. Pull your socks up a little higher. Then ESPN showed part of that Jomez clip for close to two minutes full of Shakespearean quotes from random Shakespeare movies or plays or whatever they were. Might have had something to do with Paul's last name. Might have been that play. Paul? Might have had to do with Macbeth. Macbeth. Okay. So, yeah, Paul Macbeth. He was the, he was the guy who shot 18 down. Oh, yeah. And the, and the Shakespeare play. He, so, there was – he the, oh, guy, the commentator did, did all sorts of Shakespeare quotes. Oh, yeah. It was great. From all sorts of movies. Oh, was it all of them? I thought it was just Macbeth. Aren't those all quotes from Macbeth? I, how would I know? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty. I, w I wouldn't put. I wouldn't put uh, Vegas money on it, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Oh, my 12 year old daughter who has read Macbeth. She has read Macbeth. She says they are all, in fact, from Macbeth. All right. We'll count that one right there. Not from Paul Macbeth. But no. Shakespeare. If Paul starts talking like that, then your tour has some kind of weird effect on disc golfers that that we're oh. going to figure out. I apologize. I was trying to be funny, and it didn't work at all. But. What did happen was Paul Macbeth was on ESPN for close to two minutes on his birthday and disc golf just got seen by dozens of people that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. It really begs the question whether ESPN gave Paul Macbeth a present for his birthday or if Paul Macbeth gave us a birthday present because that, that sure was special and I'm sure not to be repeated anytime soon. Uh, especially on the birthday. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel, and I said this to many, many people, Paul Macbeth gave all of us a gift. Uh, I remember being on that 18th green and there was no way I was going to be anywhere else at that moment. I saw he had a 55 or a 60 footer for birdie to go 18 down. And it was, I, I, I truly wonder if that was one of the most clutch putts of his career. Well, wait, let me ask you, I'm, I'm just going to come on your podcast and interview you. As I'm watching that moment on the video recap, I mean, obviously it's a very tense moment and, and everybody wants, I think if everybody could will that disc to go in themselves, right. they would. What did you feel in that moment? I, I want to live vicariously through you for a second. Uh, I, I didn't think about where it could go. I didn't, I was not thinking, Oh my gosh, this is going to be the greatest round ever. Uh, I was thinking 18 down through 18. This is a magical time. And I, I wasn't thinking to myself, gosh, it's taking him 12 seconds to putt. Um, I was 
just like everybody else, I was thinking, I want this disc to go in. I want this 18 down to happen. Uh, and if there's anything that my mind and body can do to will that disc into the basket, I'm going to do it. Um, and it felt like a sprint commercial because you could have heard a pin drop before he put that. And it was on the way and everybody was that, that disc hit the chains and it was just an eruption of happiness throughout the entire disc golf universe. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah. I, I can't believe it. I'm just trying to have a relaxing vacation here at home with family for a week. And my phone starts blowing up. What did you see what happened? And I honestly didn't see it in the moment. And so I had to go back and look and then sports center happened. And I can tell you having to prepare every week for the upshot, right. You know, I have always, I always look forward to the final rounds and I kind of like, go through i watch the other rounds but i'm really anticipating the final i was not as excited to watch the final round i was like really there's more golf this isn't <laughs> they didn't just call the tournament at this point <laughs> i think uh i think paul on the final day when they were on the tee and i don't know exactly when this happened but i i think somebody told me that he said wait we have to play another round like <laughs> it feels like there should be let's just call it that was really fun um but they did have to play a final round because someone named Willie Prince wanted to wanted to make it a game. Uh, and he goes 10 down through the first nine holes as well, finishes, I think, 13 down. An absolutely incredible round from uh, from a, a regional guy, regional tour, regional pro who uh, decides to get second at his first pro tour event. I mean, I, th I think what was his his last pro tour finish was like 44th in Jonesboro or something like that. And that was his yeah. best ever. I didn't even know he played in Jonesboro. Oh, he, I think he played one of your tournaments last year. He looked, um, it's funny because he looked very familiar. I, th I thought I'd seen him somewhere, but uh, I know that he'd never been on podium. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So to yeah. go from like 44th to second, one pro tour event later, it's hats off to him. It, yeah. awesome. it, at that rate, he'll be negative 41st in his next event. I think there might be a limiting factor there and an animal guarding the top of that podium, but you know. Maybe theoretically I'm with you. I'm yes. with you. It's probably a Griffin. Yeah. That one. So you mentioned that you get ready for your podcast every week. And, uh, and that is a perfect segue to where I want this conversation to go because Paul Macbeth getting on ESPN and getting that almost two minutes of street cred with fantastic commentary by a very excitable ESPN commentator. Uh, absolutely amazing. And what it, it's it's sort of the pinnacle of where disc golf media has gotten so far. And it's fantastic that we are super excited about two minutes on ESPN. I have a feeling in a year or two, that is not going to be the pinnacle anymore. It's just going to be a stepping stone as to what where we're going and how we're getting there. What do you think? It very well could be. I mean, I remember somebody that you know when we we got a chance to tour the bristol campus a couple years back talking to mo barani and he told me this was a few years ago when we were just getting the top 10 spots and i i kind of asked him i was like you know realistically how much does this help us and he said it's good but the milestone to look back on will be when sports center anchors are doing a standalone piece on the sport and you know for that reason I couldn't sleep. You know, I was so excited after seeing that highlight piece. I probably stayed up till five in the morning and it just, you know, my brain's going and I'm thinking of ideas and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, hopefully this will open the floodgates. I mean, if you look at the way we evolved on top 10, we got a lot of aces on within a handful of months. I think we went from one to like six within yeah. three months. I don't expect it to be that quick with this because this takes a lot more, time and practice and it takes more attention paid to the overall kind of shape of what our pro scene is than you know just throwing a clip on there and saying something about it right but you know that the door is open and i don't think it's going to be closed back on us anytime soon it's just i think we have an opportunity now in front of us so uh, I'll take exactly what you said and, and give an analogy and agree a hundred percent. My brother's a big soccer fan. And mm -hmm. I remember 20 years ago when ESPN started showing the, the highlights of, of the MLS or if it was the MLS back then. Um, and they would make fun of it. 
as it was going and they wouldn't show the lead up to the goal, which is really the important part of a soccer play. They would just show the guy kicking it in and say, Hey, look, there's people rooting for soccer. Isn't that silly? And fast forward 20 years and it, it, Obviously, it didn't take all these 20 years, but fast forward. And now they are doing pieces about soccer, and it's a, it's a real and significant thing. We did all that in just three years. They, you know, The first time we were, there was an ace, they said, wow, isn't this crazy? What a, they, I don't know if they said what a ridiculous sport, but you could, you could potentially hear the sarcasm and the who really cares about this dripping off their voices, and that is totally gone right now. They, he, he did a beautiful job with that piece. And it feels like they recognize this sport is growing fast and we care about it. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because if you look back at the attitudes, I think in the general public towards soccer or football as the rest of the world calls it, you know, we've sort of mirrored that attitude up through the eighties and nineties. And, you know, obviously the, the U S women's team didn't get the respect they deserved in the nineties and, and it's starting to come around and we're starting to realize how important of a sport it is internationally so I, what I wonder is, it, when we look back on this in 20 years, did disc golf just come up at the right time? If you look at us, if you look at something like esports, you know, the attitudes towards those things are changing. And I reference this a lot. Anybody who's heard me talk, I, I'm a big esports fan, but I just think that the the time we're coming up in is so much more conducive to our activity and our culture around our sport than it would have been. You know, even like think about the days where Climo was dominating. You know, right. even if nine-time world champion Ken Climo could have gotten Sports Center coverage, you know, it might have actually affected attitudes in a more negative way. So, I wonder if we're going to look back and think how lucky we were that it's right now. Yeah, uh, I, I think you. I think you might have hit the nail on the head. And uh, and I've been saying for a couple of years now, or as long as people would listen to me, uh, we don't want to get big until we're ready. We need to have that audience. And these little incremental steps are actually perfect for us because it it solidifies the game in, in people's minds and more people start watching. And Jomez gets more views. Central Coast gets more views. The live broadcast gets more views. Whoa, Jamie. So uh, I'm going to just give myself a little plug real quick. Um, in in 2016, average watch time was 22 minutes. In 2017, it was just over 30 minutes. 2018. Is this 18? This is 18. Wow. It's gone fast. 2018, uh, our goal was 40 minutes average watch time. We hadn't gotten there yet, and we're still not there yet. But at D-Glow, the average watch time was over 39 minutes for the all three days broadcast, which is really, really exciting. That's so fantastic. We are, what's happening is that people are tuning in. They're recognizing, okay, this is a quality product, and I can put this on my big screen and just eat my popcorn and feel good about it. So uh, just a little plug, like it, we keep on going and take these little steps and people get excited about it. So, um, but absolutely. Uh, I think we're going to look back and see this, just as you said, it's another incremental step and, uh, and we hit it at the right time. Now we have, uh, we have about eight minutes left and I want to play a game that I'm probably going to lose very badly. All and right. I uh, the only the only advantage I have is that I didn't tell you about the game before we before a second ago. Yeah, this is news to me. The disadvantage is that I didn't prepare for the game at all either. So, um, well, I did a little bit, but not a whole lot. So anyway, the game that I want to play is name a disc golf media milestone. Okay. And uh, and. I'll let you go first and then I'll counter with another one and we'll just go back and forth. And the goal of this game is just to have fun and sort of celebrate and remember uh, how we got here. All right. In the spirit of fun, I will take the harder ones first so that, so that we can go back and forth a little. Cause I'll, I'll name the ones that have just happened and some of the ones I've been a part of, but okay. that's a little less fun. Um, I think a moment that I remember I'll go back to, well, I don't remember personally. I wasn't in the game at this time, but watching the 99 USDGC, the first year they ran it and they put out a VHS copy. And I remember watching because they hired this huge camera crew and they built uh, risers and everything like you would see at a golf event. And, you know, big crew, I believe Sam Farron's did commentary for it that first year. Just, you know, huge throwback. And 
I, pertinent that the 20th anniversary of the USDGC is this year. So, yeah, we'll go with that one. 99 USDGC VHS. VHS. I love the start. That is an old school start. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out an old school thing. I'm, I'm going to guess the year 2005, 2006. And uh, I think Disc Golf Center helped put this on just to throw that out there. If you want to support Disc Golf, it, it's gonna, it might it might stay forever because we're going to keep referencing it like this. So thank you, Disc Golf Center. Do you remember the USDGC dots? I've heard legend of the dots. <laughs> and I think the Tech first USDGC I ever went to was 13. And I think they still had the system like on a TV. Yeah. I, I may mis- be misremembering that, but I remember they like had a system on the TV, even though there was a live broadcast. It was on the, it, it was on the computer. Mm-hmm. And, and you, uh, you, it just showed where the disc started and where the disc finished and whether it was a hyzer or an anhyzer or a straight shot. And then, so you knew it's, it's basically like you, you just throw tracker plus a graphic and it was wow. instant and super fun. Uh, it was, yeah, it was awesome. And that wasn't that long ago. All right. Let's throw one back at you. Let's go. I mean, I actually don't know when they started. But I, you have to talk about Disc Golf Planet and the evolution of yeah. media. I mean, you have guys that have won Emmy Awards. And, you know, they're, they're people who feel different ways about that group of people. John Dusler, Terry Roddy, uh, Patrick Brogdon on down. But, man, th- there's some high-powered talent that still works in the mainstream sports media that took a gamble on Disc Golf and started putting it on the Internet for people to see. So I think that's a huge milestone. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and put Disc Golf Planet around 2005. 1213 it might have been it might have even been a couple years before that i know i came into the game in 09 and they okay. were sort of they weren't on youtube yet but they they had their own paywall site where you okay. could get membership so yeah there um okay so i'll throw back at you uh 2004 msdgc uh we put out a dvd of that event i think we got it out by christmas which <laughs> Somebody agrees. Somebody likes that. Boston is a fan of the MSDGC DVDs, but we got it out by Christmas and, uh, and we made DVDs of every event through, I think 2012, uh, at at which point live broadcast was, was a thing that has been at Maple Hill. So I'll say the 2004 MSDGC just for setting that stage. All right. And let's, and I can't believe I skipped over this one. I'm glad you said something about DVDs. How about the Clash DVD series with Billy Crump doing the grudge matches with the best players in the world? I know you interviewed Garrett Gerthy last week on this podcast, and he's on one of my favorite ones. Uh, I think Clash at Pine Oaks was such a good, I mean, so many great memories out of that. And, and some of the best sayings and commentary in the sport, you know, like butter on a hot roll. Hot roll and make him pucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Billy factor. Yes, uh, Billy Crump is a very good one. Hey, on the uh, on the on the heels of Billy Crump, let's keep going and let's go ahead and give a, a awkward shout out to Salient Discs for putting us on ESPN three. That that was a thing that happened. A lot of people saw it, and then they played it again when they had their Ocho celebration. So that was absolutely a thing. Uh, doesn't matter how you feel about Salient, but they did do that, and it was significant. Yeah, you know, however you feel, and, and I'll keep my personal feelings out of it, but the audacity to try is impressive. And, you know, it wouldn't be disc golf if we didn't kind of stumble and awkwardly do some things down the line anyway. That's the nature of our sport. Uh, okay, let's throw one at you. The birth of what I'll call my generation. I believe Central Coast, are you trying to distract me? Is this a, is this a defense tactic in this game here? Uh <laughs> The 2011, I believe, is the year that Central Coast Disc Golf was founded and Ian Anderson started doing his thing out of San Diego. Jomez Productions was right around then as well. They may have been 2012. So the new crop and sort of the leaders in the tournament coverage industry today, 2011. Uh, that That's a really good year. Um, I'll go ahead and say in, in uh, honor of some other pioneers, Terry Miller. Um, sure. probably 2009, the disc golf guy started doing stuff. Uh, and I'm going to save Smashbox for my next one. All right. 
I would steal Smashbox from you. I'm trying to remember the exact year. I remember the first time I saw him trying to put the the uh, upload pieces together, and he had this like rigged up modem inside of a Tupperware box that he wore in a backpack. It was ridiculous. But uh, you know, look how far they've come since then. But I'll leave you that one. And I will take a little page out of the self-promotion playbook and say Spin TV came around in 2013 as I was finishing uh, film school, got a chance to help them start that project up and uh, very proud of what we were able to do there. Absolutely. Uh, and you, you mentioned the backpack and the, uh, and the camera. I was actually talking to Terry today and he said he had the backpack and the camera and the microphone all at the same time and that's how he how he got going with smashbox and the funny thing is i'm here with my brother and i was putting off on the bugs are getting crazy out here it's it's dusk in maine there's a lot of yep. mosquitoes uh my brother was actually putting off on my legs while you were saying your your last one which i honestly <laughs> don't know what it was but i have a great picture of him with a backpack in 2007 i believe it might have been six um and my brother-in-law actually had a computer and was following debugging something in the laptop. Uh, the antenna sticking out. Yeah, he has a laptop. Un he has an unzipped backpack <laughs> with an antenna coming out of it, and my brother-in-law following with a keyboard typing on it. And Todd's walking up the fairway, good old shaky cam, filming hole seven at Maple Hill battery. with a go kart battery. A go kart battery? Very heavy battery in there to make it make the whole thing work. Jeez! Wow. That's crazy. Those were those were crazy days, and the and it's but we had to start somewhere. You got to get twenty viewers before you can get forty. Um, Thank God, tech is getting smaller and lighter. Yes, I think it was Einstein who said anybody can make things bigger and more complicated. It it takes a creative, unique person to make them smaller and more elegant. Wow. Um, so good on Einstein. And now I'll take Smashbox. Uh, Smashbox came on board. Uh, I'm going to guess 2012, 2013. And, uh, and Terry and Johnny have built something super special. 13 sounds right to me. Cause I don't think I was at the Memorial before that, but, um, I will take a page out of the Memorial playbook and say the first sports center top 10 ace. There you go. Dawson at Fountain Hills. That was an important moment. I remember I was standing next to Avery and we we're just filming the TV with our phones and jumping up and down. We may have even been in Dukes at the time and it was just, it was super cool. So um, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, I don't know if this would be considered spin TV, but disc golf world tour had the, the scoreboard and they had, I think it was a little triangle in the corner if they had video of that hole. And that was a really interesting way to do it. And I think they did all that through Instagram. You might've been involved in the creation of that. Some of those, but you could click that little triangle and then you could see how that score was obtained. And what a really interesting way to get people to watch this golf because wow, there's a two on that 600 foot hole. I want to see that. And uh, a lot of those videos, the, the numbers for how, how many of those videos reviewed were astronomical. Yeah. Shout out to a guy named Yane Latinen. He works over at Innova Europe and he's just a grinder. He's there at all those European events behind the scenes. That was kind of his uh, project. So, and uh, all right, I can throw one back at you with the pro tour the connection with UDisc and getting all of that integrated into the live footage, into the app. Matt Kruger is killing it for you guys. And, and just UDisc is awesome. So I'm smartest move. Maybe the smartest move your tour has ever done. I'm not afraid to say to you is, is to hook all of that up and make it so easy for us. And it was just a nice casual dinner at the cheesecake factory with all 60 pages of their menu. You keep that, keep that man around, Steve. He's, he's got good ideas. I'm telling you. Uh, he is a very good man and nine times out of 10. See, when I talk to Terry with a new idea, he just says, Whoa, that's crazy. Or actually Johnny usually says that's crazy. When I talk to Matt about a crazy idea, he says, yeah, that's in the next rev. Yeah. He's already <laughs> thought of it he's already, and him encoded it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm all tapped out. I'm sure there's hundreds more. Um, but, uh, you want, do you want to list off? You probably have a few more in your head in your banks. Oh man. Um, I could think of, you know, I guess we could just do shout outs. You know, you got to give a shout out to, we talked about central coast and Joe Mez. You got to yeah. give a shout out to guys like cool daddy slick breeze, AKA. Oh, Bobby oh my Brown. God. Yes. You know, let's, let's, let's go into stop. dynamic discs. I was going to say, let's just give a flat out shout out to DD for understanding 
a year or two or three before most people understood video is king and they brought on cool daddy slick breeze and they were ahead of the curve on that uh tip of the tuft to dd they uh, got a lot of people into watching so yeah yeah you know and it's so many people who are going to see the sports center thing now and think oh you know it's, it just finally popped and it finally happened right, right. And look at all these people that we're listing off over the years that have just you know built this thing up together so it was not overnight and i have only been here for a very short part of it and but man we we stand on the shoulders of giants a hundred percent true we are all very lucky to have this kind of history behind us plus the 40 years the pdga has been around we just hit a hundred thousand members uh our hundred thousandth member in the pdga and last i saw we're over one hundred and ten thousand already it's like the ball is rolling and it's rolling faster and faster and it's super exciting to watch and uh, when I joined in 2010, I got number 47,201. That, Eight that, years later, they've over doubled that number of members. That's incredible. Well, let's let's look at that. You said you're 47,000 in 2010? Yep. I think I joined in 03, and I think I'm 22,000. So they got 25,000 in those seven years, and then the next seven years they get 70,000. Yeah. It's, I mean, the majority of people have been playing the sport for less than two years. So that's why I'm glad we did that name game, because maybe some of the people watching this podcast, you know, they will get them educated on the history of the sport and the media side, which is always so, great. Jamie, you've done a great job with uh, with Spin TV. Wait, you just put out. How about we got to say Simon Lazat and his trick shot videos? Yes, of course. And, and Ulti World came into my mind when they got into the disc golf scene as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't point that out. Absolutely. Simon trick shot video shoot was great. It was a lot yeah. of fun. And crazy fun to watch. And uh, apparently the bicycle shot did not take a lot of takes, or it did. Wait, that did take a lot of takes. The bicycle shot took a while. Uh, that was tough to do. You know, you get the wind coming off the beach straight as a headwind. And uh, the signature ace, I think that was his third take. Okay. And we only had about 20 putters. So, you know, those were all real live signings. And so we said, all right, Simon, you got 20 tries on this one. And he just nails it on the third one. There you go. And, and obviously the car shot was, was phenomenal. And yeah, the, the, the MTA with the car, funny story about that one real quick. That was actually the third one he completed. Oh, because we asked him, we said, all right, how long does it have to be to be an impressive MTA? And he said 11 seconds. Right. So the, the first one he did was like, 10.7 seconds and he's like no we're like it's close enough right and he goes no it has to be 11. he did another one it was like nine and a half and then he you know it took him a little while probably 40 minutes later he got he got the one and and he was probably most genuinely excited about that of all the tricks <laughs> 10.7 seconds not good yeah, enough not good enough that's so, like a wind aided 100 meter sprint record you know and it's not good enough for him <laughs> It was very fun to watch, and you guys did a great job on that video. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and second some of what you said, and I'm going to make it Pro Tour-centric. And I'm going to say a huge shout-out to all of the amazing writers at the Pro Tour who put out articles one hour after the event is finished, So, or, or even the FPO is finished. So the FPO finishes at noon. At 1 o'clock, you can go on the site and read an article about it. Keep it fresh. Keep it. Get excited. Same with MPO. And then we have an event recap that night. We have amazing writers. Um, obviously, the UDIS crew. Smashbox killing it with the live coverage, which it's ridiculous how much they improve that product almost every event, but it's, it's probably every third event. We make a significant shift and Terry and Johnny go with it and make the best of it and then take a couple of events to get it right. Exactly. Right. And then they improve it again next time. And then we would be uh, very little without central coast and Jomez doing what they're doing and bringing in the big eyeballs. Those, the numbers of viewers they're getting are helping to, to feed the live stream beating you disc it we're all working together and it's all getting really really exciting and i actually have one more thing i want to say but i'm going to give you one last thing before i sign you off all right yeah i think uh it's just it is so huge you know and there's such a competitive mentality amongst all of the media guys you know we've talked about it a few times over different interviews where there's this like competitive cooperative thing between jonathan and ian and terry and johnny v and i we want to be the best. Like I, when I was with spin TV, I want to beat you. I want to have the biggest numbers, but if it's not me, I always want it 
to them to have the success and, and to really, and I think that's creating better media products for everybody. So keep grinding and, and everybody working at the pro tour, keep doing your thing. I saw it all come together at the San Francisco open. Just, I know how much it takes and, and it's impressive. Oh, uh, well, thank you very much, Jamie. And, uh, I'm going to, you don't need to sign off for this last one, but, uh, the, the last one that I want to say is all of the disc golf podcasts. There are, I believe there's dozens of podcasts at this point uh, that are just talking about disc golf. And some of them are talking about how to play better. Some of them are talking about equipment and some of them are talking about uh, how to run events and, and do that type of thing. And some of them are talking about the pro tour and, and what the pros are doing and whatever your taste in disc golf right now you you have a lot of people talking about it who research what they're doing know a lot about the history of the sport and want to spread their love of the game it's awesome 100 percent, 100 percent. well thank you very much jamie and with that we're going to say peace out this has been pro tour talk with steve dodge we've been joined by jamie thomas and dutch napier hope you all have a good night good night jamie night and uh, before I sign off, I will go ahead and say one last thing. Please, if you like what we're doing, subscribe, hit the like button, and go ahead and hit that little bell so you get a reminder when we go live. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.